Welcome to Comic Book Keepers, where we talk about comic book characters, their history, and their impact on our lives. I'm Lance, and today I am joined by two members of an unholy trinity to promote their new creator-owned series from Image Comics, The Infernals. First, we have Eisner Award-winning artist for Blue and Green, whose mesmerizing work you'll recognize from the Department of Truth, John J. Pearson, and a writer whose prolific run on Power Rangers elevated the entire franchise, has given 80s and 90s kids nostalgia overload with his TMNT Power Ranger crossovers, and continues to expand the Massiverse with Rogue Son, making his third appearance on Comic Book Keepers, Mr. Ryan Parrott. Gentlemen, it is a pleasure to welcome both of you to the show. I'm happy to be back. Yeah, <laughs> and happy to be here for the first time. Thank you for having us. Of course. Do I get like a gold jacket after I do like seven times or something like that? Like they do I think SNL? so. <laughs> yeah, it's the SNL club. So just four more times and you're there. You got it. Awesome. All right. You are now the, the crowned returning guest, though. The creator host guest. You have the crown for most returns. Oh, awesome. That's amazing. I'll take that. Yeah. Bring it on, people. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we are here to talk about your creator-owned book, The Infernal. So I think we should let our listeners know a little bit about what the book is. The Infernals is a five-issue series all about family struggles. You know, the commonplace struggles of being the Antichrist, having the knowledge of your rapidly approaching demise, and deciding between which of your three hellspawn children to inherit your shadowy empire and assume full control of the impending apocalypse. So, you know, the very relatable things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. See, this is why Noah didn't need to be on this call, because you did a better job than we have done in the previous one. Now, he's going to listen to that, and he's going to be mad. With fewer spoilers as well. Yeah, exactly. You didn't spoil the whole book, as Noah and I would routinely do. But uh, that is an excellent way of describing it. So, thank you. I'm going to take that and use that later on when I talk to people. And that will be my official synopsis. (laughs) I love it. I'll send you the clip of it later. Thank you. With a book like Infernals, and we're going to keep it as spoiler-free as possible, when you're developing a story like this, what was that creative process like? Where did the inspiration for it come from? And when did the various creative members of the team come together? Uh, so the original instinct was actually Noah's, Noah Gardner's idea. So he's the co-writer, if anybody like, hasn't listened to this before. Noah Gardner and I met uh, many years ago when we worked at Bad Robot together. We were both assistants, and um, we both wanted to be writers at the time. And so we would always sort of share ideas and throw ideas back and forth when we were supposed to, doing, you know, supposed to be doing stuff for our bosses. We would just be breaking our own stories at the desk and stuff. <laughs> But uh, so we've always wanted to do stuff. And I got into comic books and he got into doing film and television. Um, and then eventually he was like, you know, we should do a book together. I'd love to do one. And and and, uh, and I was like, yeah, let's do it. So he would send me a bunch of ideas and we were trying to figure it out. And this was one of the, la- the final idea he sent me was, I think we were about to quit. We were like, we were kind of done. Like it hadn't, hadn't found anything that like I was really excited about. And he was really excited about. And he's like, you know, I got this last idea. And he threw it to me and I go, what can we swear in here? No, uh, I can edit out, but you go, you you say whatever you want. Okay, where the blank? Has, yeah, I was like, where the bleep has this been the whole damn time? And uh, and then he said it, and he was like, it was just like, what if the Antichrist is gonna die and has has to pick between his three kids? I was like, it's freaking awesome. And so we started brainstorming that, and it was really easy. Like once we once he it was it's that idea that like you know it it kind of works when you just can kind of keep building off each other really quickly. And then he was like, hey, so art wise. Like, who do you think we should go for? And I was like, well, I don't know. He's like, what do you think about John Pearson? And I was like, yeah, he's not going to do it. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's great. But like, yeah, good. And I literally, I think, you know, was like, well, should I email? I'm like, knock yourself out, man. Like, I think I was so, there was just no way I thought you were going to have time for that. 
And then I remember the day that you, he sent it, we were having a conversation and then he just forwarded me your, your response. And he was, and you were like, yeah, that sounds like a cool idea. We should talk about this. And I was like, get the hell out of here. That's not the real guy. <laughs> I was like, I was like, check the email, make sure you get him to the right guy. We're not getting catfished here. John K. Pearson. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so that's where it all came from. And then we just, we sat down with John and then, and that's where I think the book fully started to form is when we started to throw back sketches and ideas and, and you started talking about how you wanted to approach sort of the larger scope and not like using sort of the religious iconography, but not locking it into one particular um, sort of like denomination. And like, I think that when, when John came in, it, that's when the scope and the style of the book really took over. And then we started to accommodate our ideas into that. And that's where I think that was though, that was, that's like the most fun I've ever had on a project because most of the artists I work with are people I've worked with before or on usually on other books. And so I kind of know their process already, but I didn't know your process and your style. And I, and I knew that we would be handing over a certain element in the book that I was not used to handing over personally. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Like I was like, we're, I know this, like I, there's a point where we hand the script over and we let John lead. And, I, <laughs> and I, I don't, I don't think I, I don't give you many notes, right? Like I, I, Noah will occasionally chime in, but I don't say nothing. No, I mean, I mean, I, th I think that's the best thing. I don't think, like, I mean, first of all, as well, I think I find it hilarious every time you you kind of mention the the fact that he's like, oh, John would never do this. No, no, no. Like, <laughs> You've seen my work? Like, this is this ticks all the boxes. It's just absolutely, it's amazing. Of course, I, of course, I'm going to do this. Um, but yeah, I think the um, like when I when I got the email and when I kind of. Uh, we had a chat and we said yes. It was uh, it was just fantastic from there on out. So, yeah, whenever I get the the script through from from Noah and Ryan, it's just it's amazing. But I think because of how I do work, I there's I, there's a certain amount of fluidity to my style and my approach. So I do appreciate that that can be something new to to writers who might just be used to kind of give them the script and then they know exactly what they're going to get yeah. back. I no. don't know what I, I don't know what's going to come out of it half the time. So yes, I appreciate that you just fly by the seat of your pants half the time. <laughs> so, yeah, so the, the faith that you put in me is, is uh, wow. definitely appreciated. <laughs> it's, I have never been in a situation where I can do that and, and get excited by doing that. I've done it where you give, you give a script off somebody like, well, we'll see what happens. But like, <laughs> it's not usually in a good way. It's more like they got three weeks to do 22 pages and we'll see what we get, you know? But like with you, it's just like, I, I'd use this example a little bit. Like there's a director that I loved when I was coming up in film school, uh, Tarsum, who did like The Fall and The Cell and those kind of things. And I always thought like, that's a director that would be awesome to give a script to because you're like, or like a Soderbergh, you give it to him and you're like, you know, they're going to interpret it in a different way, but they're going to make something great and different out of it. And that's the thing that I really like. It's like look, I know every podcast is, is like telling how much you love working with all your creative partners and all that stuff. But this honestly has been a really, really cool, different experience for me. And like, I think it's made me appreciate the comic medium in a way that I don't think I did before. Um, it can get a little writer heavy. It can get a little writers of gods and, you know, like we, it, you know, and it's nicer. It's been nicer to actually hand to, to be more collaborative with your artist in a way that I don't think I've been able to in other books. God, I hope the other artists I work with don't hear this. And then <laughs> <laughs> they all listen, Ryan. Sorry, Abel. You're awesome too. Yeah. <laughs> John, what was it about the pitch for the infernals that caught your attention that 
made you decide like, yes, I definitely want to be a part of this book? I mean, I, I think um, because it was um, everything about it was just appealing to me. So I, I'm a huge horror fan. Most of my artistic influences come from a lot of horror cinema. Um, and I always like um, alternative approaches to storytelling and the, the kind of weird, weird stuff that's everything i love but the thing that i really liked about the infernals was the fact that it was um it, it was simultaneously on the surface this cool story about the spawn of satan but also it was um a lot more nuanced than that and it's a lot harder to define so it's a family drama it's emotionally driven um it's about um kind of different connections with people and that's something that i really like in my approach to visual storytelling. I like a lot of layers and I like a lot of visual impact and kind of leaning into all the really intense horror stuff or the intense action stuff. But um, the emotional storytelling is something that's always at the core of what I do. And this really had that. So it was, um, yeah, it was just something that absolutely piqued my interest right from the get-go. And I think I could straight straight away start to uh, visualize what approach or approaches that I might take to it um, just based on the the initial premise. So yeah, it just had me hooked straight away. Um, and it was uh, something where I, I th- there was definitely that um, that space for me to play in it as well, whether or not no one, no one Ryan knew that at the time. But uh, yeah, I saw that straight away. <laughs> talking to all the creators that we get to through this podcast it always seems like whenever there's that level of trust between writer artist and there can be more of that collaborative interpretation of the material this is when you get like those truly special stories that come out because if the writer writes something down but then there's an interpretation from the artist and they present something it can cue in them to another part of the story they might not have thought of before so and it just like you mentioned it just kind of stacks on each other and then you get something that is truly amazing that's definitely been the experience with this i mean i know especially through the first issue there were some of the designs that i did and some of the elements that i did that Nora and ryan they come back and say oh hey we've developed this for subsequent issues or we're kind of playing with this and and building on the visuals that that i've done and that's amazing and that's how it should be um it's it even though it does feel like a a writer-centric um industry the majority of the time comics are collaborative <laughs> um, through and through. Um, so every- just draw your pictures, monkey. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm lucky cause I, I don't necessarily have what I'd call it a standard approach to it. So I kind of stand out even like just the, the majority of the time, no matter what I'm working on, but um, yeah, I can see why so, some artists might just kind of um, sink to the background a little bit, but um but yeah, with this, it's 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 my favorite way of working. That um, knowing that I'll give something back to Noah and Ryan, and then they'll take that and then build on it, and then so on and so forth. So yeah, it's great. The more we work on this project, the the stronger and tighter knit it feels like it's becoming as well. Yeah, we had we had several moments in this. Like I think there was there's a moment at the end of issue two um, that is sort of like we had. We had we knew like so we were right like when you write fish issue you kind of have an idea of where it's going to go with like the first like the, you have the old story you have like you broke it mm-hmm. but there was a moment in like that was just the way that John drew there's a boardroom scene you'll know what I mean when you get to it when you read the script there's a boardroom scene at the end of two that the way that 
John interpreted what we had written because we only written like I think it was like three lines, and then it became this whole splash. And I was like, and then I saw it. It's the cool, the coolest part of the comic process ever is when you get like the letter, like the like the the thumbnails or the first draft or the the, the inks back from the from the writer, the artist, the first time, and you're like, wow. Like, oh, okay, okay, this is the book we're doing now. These are what the characters look like. Because in your head, every writer has like a nebulous idea of what the characters might look like, like an actor you like or, or something. And then when you get it, and then it becomes concrete. And then what, what was great about The Boardroom was like, John sort of took something we took, like a one line and sort of expanded on it and broadened it. And all of a sudden I was like, okay. And it actually changed the way that we plotted the book because it changed the the conceit that we had for these characters and it'll make more sense. I, I hate to talk all, you know, I'd like to tell you more, but I don't want to spoil anything, but like, that's kind of where we're at. But like, there's, there's a few spots in there. Like uh, there's a character named Rain Driscoll that pops up in the story. He ends up being kind of an important character, but I hadn't imagined him the way that John drew him. And so when John drew him and there was much more of this sort of millennial vibe to it and like with the tattoos and everything, and I was like, that changed the way that I started writing him as a character. And so we mm -hmm. actually had to go back and rework some of the dialogue to do that. And so I think that's the fun part. Like that's the fun part of, of the process is the collaboration process. It's like, it's like, it's give back and take back. And, 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 you know, the more you, I think the more you're open to that, the more you use that and use that to your advantage, the better the book can be. I don't know if it's just me paying more attention to the comic landscape in recent years, but I've been seeing a lot more of co-writers on books and the fact that this had all started with you and you and Noah going back and forth, Ryan, about wanting to develop the story. Sadly, Noah's not able to be with us here today, but I'm curious, what has your experience been like differences when you have a co-writer versus when it's you writing the story? What, what does that look like, that process? How does it differ for one another and like benefits, maybe some of the struggles? Oh man, I will say having a co-writer is the best damn thing in the world. Um, it is so helpful and so much faster to be able to like talk to somebody and go like, hey, I was thinking this, like, no, that's stupid. Let's do it this way. <laughs> or, or any, like just having somebody, two brains are better than one. Two brains, like just in like, if you have an idea and you have to pitch it to someone else, your editor turns on. And so you're able to, it's like, you can know if that's a dumb idea or not. Many times I will write by myself and I will write a dumb idea and I won't know it's bad until I finish the entire script. That happened recently on Rogue Sun. <laughs> I, finished, I finished an entire script and I was like ready to send it to the artist and I got in the shower and I finished and I went, this is wrong. That is stupid. I got to rewrite the issue. And so that's happened. And now we're behind schedule. Thank you. Um, but uh, I will say the process of having a co-writer is just, it's just so nice. Now, granted, I have worked with co-writers in the past. Um, and I think in my early days, um, like I can actually say this because I think I, don't, I won't hurt his feelings, but when I worked on, on Power Rangers. I worked with Senna Grace. He was the first co-writer that I worked with. And Senna is a fantastic writer. Like he is one of the smartest people and one of the most professional people I've worked and collaborator I've ever worked with. And I, since he had come on to sort of help me when we were like in the, in the, in the, in the doldrums of it all, because we we're just trying to keep up with, that was when I started writing two books in the, every a month that it was just yeah. a little too much for me. Senna came in and helped out and made it great. And I 
was I'd never really worked with a co-writer in comics before. And I think my ego got in the way and I just hadn't, and I was rewriting him more than I needed to. And I was not like, I was not open to his collaboration as much as I, sh- I should have been. It took me the whole run that I worked with him to finally get to a place where I was finally able to sort of let go of the process. And I think every writer has their own thing where like, there's a certain way that I can, br- I break a scene in my head, a certain way that I hear dialogue and it doesn't mean it's right. It's just the way that you are. And so like letting go of that, I think is really important. It can make better, better projects. And it took me a long time in that run to get to start letting go of, you don't have, not every line has to be exactly the way that you think it should be. It can be other ways interpreted. And I, and by the time we got to the end of it, I learned, and I, I would have, I would have actually loved to have done another 12 issues with him because I feel like it would have been so much better because I would have been less of a tyrant uh, on my stuff just because I hadn't worked with anybody. So I, I brought a lot of that when I work with Noah now that makes it a little easier. I try to be like, Noah is a really talented writer and somebody who um, I, I really, I, you have to trust your co-writer. You do. You cannot, if you don't trust that guy uh, or, or woman and you're just like, you think you're there to fix it, then you got a problem. And I trust him implicitly. I think he's one of the best writers I've ever worked with. And like, I, I love handing script scenes over and then having him look at him and go, what, what about this? And then completely changing it. I'm like, that's 10 times better. And so that's a nice thing. So like, you know, I, I think that's the thing. I think it's just like, you have to let go of your ego and start to realize that your voice isn't the only voice and it can be more fun when you really open yourself up to that. Thank you. I, I have been kind of like racking my brain about that, just seeing more of those creative teams pop yeah. up. So it, it it is really nice to hear, especially because of the background that you had with Noah. So it, it makes sense that you had kind of that back and forth already, that relationship. Yeah. If he was on here, I would tell him he's terrible and that I carry him. <laughs> <laughs> so John, your interior work incorporates various techniques and conveys a lot of emotion and a variety of energy in every single page. So after reading the scripts and outlines for the Infernals, did you immediately have a, a vision for what you wanted to bring to the book stylistically, or did that just evolve throughout the creative process? It's, it's a little bit of both, to be honest, because I mean, I think um, it's you naturally go to a, a general style that you will have, even if your general style is a little bit fluid. But um, I think for me, um, I knew there were certain um stylistic notes that i wanted to hit um i knew i wanted to play with the idea of light and shadow and um kind of play with the idea of, of good versus evil through that um and then uh, there's there's a lot of things i use quite a lot um so i use silhouettes a lot um uh, the idea of the absence saying more than actually something being there um and a lot of recurring motifs but it's it's something where um i i tend to let the evolve um a little bit more naturally so i'll do layouts i'll kind of think about how it's going to look um in quite a simplistic sense and then a lot of it will be refining that to heighten the emotion a lot of it comes through the rendering as well in the style that I'll approach um so it'll be either a loose style or something that is a little bit more um a little bit more rendered so yeah it 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 really depends i think um one of the things that i've learned is there needs to be a relatively solid structure behind um any style that is a little bit more divergent a little bit less what an audience might expect just so 
readers don't get lost in it and just so readers actually kind of still understand it's a comic and they still um are still engaging with it so yeah so I'll, I'll try and have quite a solid basis and then within that play an experiment and um try and get uh some of that emotional storytelling to come through can can i ask john a question because he actually just like um you're like no shut up no no creator <laughs> you cannot do anything on this podcast there was <laughs> uh, one thing i've been curious about when with your style and the way that you approach the book is there's been several pages where you will i'm trying to think i wish i had the exact the question for like a page but like there's been times where you will actually do a panel in black and white while the rest of the page is in color and it feels like there's an emotional reason for when you do that like when you change a when you drastically change the color in a scene do you have that planned out uh, like when you just cuz what you just said made me questions like if you have if you know that you need like a, a baseline structure to sort of like vocabulary to create for the reader do you know that at the start or is that more instinctual as you read the scenes and yeah perfect example there like, we go. yeah like like <laughs> Do you know the vocabulary when you start, or is that something that evolves and changes over the course of the series? Um, so it will evolve and change. So okay. I think I think a lot of the things that will become repeat um, repeat images or kind of repeat motifs, it will be something that I'll establish early on, and then as I get to know the characters um, I gotcha. in a visual okay. sense, I'll be like, oh, this is how they reacted before and this is how they will gotcha. react to this or it'll be the opposite of that to show visually but it is it is a polar yeah. opposite reaction but i think a lot of the time when i'm saying that it'll be um structurally it'll be um laid out in in a quite straightforward way so the page you just held up there where they were sat on um the the couch it's I knew it was going to be like that, but I didn't necessarily know it was going to be rendered that way or drawn that way mm. when I was doing the layouts. So nice. yeah, so it's something that evolves over over the course of it. This is a weird analogy. It's a little kind of like like jazz or music where you play a note. And it's like okay, I know they heard that note, and now I'm going to be well, I'm going to work off of that. So you use that and like okay, I had an idea for that page, and now that's a that's a part of the vocabulary for the audience. So if I stay consistent with that, now it's part of the style. And if I when I veer away from it, it actually has a different resonance. When like it's like that makes a lot of sense to me. I, that's yeah. really cool. That's yeah, one hundred percent. And I, I really like the music analogy because that's like I play music as well, and music's always been something that's really important to me. So I think um, yeah, establishing those notes, and then you can play with that. You can make it sound more discordant, or you can make it sound harmonious. Um, and that's amazing. So yeah, and and also if you do it correctly, it will become something that the the readers don't even notice until until an idiot like me asks about it on a podcast. No, 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 no. Because no, it's like I mean they'll notice it if they look at it, but like right. it it should be something where unless um, I'm intentionally trying to take them out of the experience for um, heightening. Um, somebody's reaction to something, for example. But um, if it's more nuanced, then they'll experience it without it kind of breaking their emotion in the story. Yeah. So, yeah, it's like, that's what I, I love about comics. It's like, you can do these things and then it'll have that reaction without the reader even knowing. Yeah. And then it will make them go back and then kind of look for those details. So, yeah, it's really exciting. So that sequence that we're talking about, keep it keeping it, again, spoiler-free, so it's just the sip, the three siblings that are there together and the use of or lack of color at that point really feels like the oxygen has been taken out of the room 
because you, we've seen the three siblings earlier in the book having their own lives, doing a variety of different things. But then as soon as they're together, there's that kind of like sibling encounter where you're they seem to clearly have like this awkward interaction with one another. And I think that lack of color really drives that home of they have all this color in their own lives when they're coming together. That's kind of sucked away. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah. And that's um, how else could you do that without it being the lack of color? It's such an abstract thing, but it makes so much sense. Yep. Um, so yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's exactly that. It's, that's the, the first time they're all there. So they're all spaced cool. out on the couch and... Um, yeah, it's that that awkward sibling rivalry. The introduction of B is absolutely brilliant. Uh, <laughs> it, it's simultaneously hilarious and terrifying at the exact same time. With the first issue being so critical to grasp readers' attention, somehow B, with being the most visually simplistic introduction of the three children, perfectly conveys who she is. With someone with your vast array of artistic tools in their belt, the scenes that we've seen earlier where we showed all of those various denominations of, of devils in a sequence, because we mentioned it's more non-denominational. There's just the, this array of devils or these deities that represent death. So you have scenes like that where they are expansive and ethereal, but then you have this moment with B where it is so simplistic. It is her one particular way and the world is moving around her, but it perfectly encapsulates who she's going to be as a character. How do you rein that in in order to leave a character so bare bones, but being able to convey so much about them at the same time? Man. That was on you, uh, man. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I mean, I know, um, so um, Ryan and Noah have spoken about this before, how they had, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but you had like um, kind of almost like film references for the introductions. And I know that scene was with B, um, I think in the script uh, or in the conversation, we spoke about it being almost like a Wes Anderson type introduction. Did um, it actually say in the outline, did it say in the script, I can't remember if it's in the script or I know. I, I know it might have been. Like I'm trying to remember because Noah Noah had a particular. He really liked B, although he did have a conversation about whether or not there's a there's a thing that happens that if it's like, do you think that's too far? And I'm like, nah. And he's like, I don't know, man. Like, and I was like, it'll be fine. I don't think anybody's going to come after us for that. We'll find out in two weeks. Uh, <laughs> but um, I don't, I don't remember if it was in the script that it was like the same shot over and over that you had done. I think that was, I think that might've been you. I think there was, it, then, then again, I, you know, it's not like I have, don't have the script in front of me and I could look. Um, but I don't, I thought that was your interpretation, but I could. Be I wrong. think I can, you know, I can't remember off the top of my head now, I'm gonna but look. like, um, I know like we've somewhere, we've there's been that kind of idea of it being like that Wes Anderson type thing but I think like um the that kind of reining it in it again it goes back to the um the the need of the story and how the art should um kind of follow that above or else but also it should kind of push it so with B um B's a real B's almost like the opposite to, to Nero, really. So you've got Nero where Nero is, um, everything's external. Everything is just loud and obnoxious and in your face. Um, whereas B is um, permanently in shadow, just quiet, almost silent. and um, But within that, just that 
intensity where um not moving and not doing anything and just um reacting is the strength so in a, in a, in a similar way to what i was saying about how i use silhouettes as well that the absence actually says a lot more so the absence of movement of the character is just integral there but also stylistically it was um it's a lot simpler and a lot flatter uh, it's a lot less rendered than the rest of the, the the issue and again that's completely intentional because i wanted it to be um to strip away any other intensity especially through the rendering to just have that be on the character and what's happening in that scene yeah and to to no one's gonna be mad at me. Yes, it's in the script. He did write that that it was designed to be the six panel grid and all that stuff. So I'm like, sorry, man, this shows you how much I write. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that I think Noah had an intent, like what you said, like the Wes Anderson approach, this idea. But I, I do I do notice that when we first saw the art that there was that difference between everything around her is so colorful and bright, and she's just sort of this she's flat and and sort of matte in and how that sticks through the whole thing. I, I thought that was, it's such a fun way to introduce that character because you get to see like, you're, you're like, oh no, I know I know who that person is. That person is always standing in the corner, not doing anything, completely in their own head, judging everyone, smarter than everyone. And then, you know, has then they get their little moment to like make a woman's bullies life hell. Anyways. Yeah. But I mean, also like thinking about kind of what we were saying earlier about the establishing those notes and then repeat them later on. So like the, when they're all sat on the sofa again so you're just repeating it yeah. it's calling back to that introduction where it's that level of intensity but in a different capacity um where it's just kind of boiling and just fuming um with no motion like very little happening i i don't think i've ever understood a character quicker than b based <laughs> off of those panels <laughs> I'm glad you did, because literally no one I had a conversation the other day, I was like, who is B? And I'm like, we're at issue four, man. You better know. <laughs> I, th I think I've always just been gravitated towards the silent, powerful female characters. Raven is one of my favorite characters mm -hmm. at, at DC. There's just something about someone that does not need to be loud to be powerful. Mm -hmm. Like they, they, There's just a presence, and B has that, and I cannot wait to see her going up against her siblings in this in this battle for the reins of the company well I, I always think of the female in the boys in the original comic how what a cool like the dead quiet character that can kill you with a look kind of thing not literally maybe she could i don't remember if she could if she did that but um but yeah like b b is the one of the fun things that we do in the books is that in each issue we do the the first issue has abe is doing most of the narration. It's about understanding who he is. Well, each issue we do a different perspective. And so the second issue is, is uh, Nero and the third issue is Jackal and the fourth is B. So you get what's been fun. I think it was, is that B is a pretty quiet character through most of the series. She has a few lines here and there, and we've actually taken more of her dialogue out as the script's gone along. Uh, but we get to, <laughs> when you get to the fourth one, you really get to get in her head. And I think it really shifts the way that you might perceive someone like like you said someone who's quietly looking and maybe judging when you get in there they might have a very different perspective on the way that not only they see the world but the way they think the world sees them and that's something that i really enjoy about b honestly ryan when i read infernals the issue for the first time it felt like such a departure narratively from what i've seen from you before yeah, that's for sure. 
when you're writing Infernals now at this point, are you just trying to like drive home the fact that you are able to do all these other genres or do things that you people are not expecting of you? My friend said the funniest thing about this. He goes, hey, this is your showgirls. And I, <laughs> and I laughed so hard because I knew exactly what he meant. I was like, you know, you got the cutter, you oh do the fun, God. yeah, you do the fun, uh, like Power Ranger internal stuff, and like this is you, like breaking free and doing some writing, some swearing, and having some darker stuff. I'm like, yeah, man, this is my showgirls. Uh, <laughs> but. No, I, I think it, it really came out of like, and I've done some darker stuff before, like Dead Day's a little darker and and um, I think Oberon has some dark stuff in it. But um, this was the first one where like the subject matter, like you you have to treat it, I think, with a certain level of of reality. And, and it's hard to be like, you're, when you have characters who are like, you know, doing, pushing people off balconies and doing cocaine and stuff like that, they can't not swear and not be, you know, like there's a certain <laughs> level of reality about but Noah, I think the thing that's been fun about Noah is Noah's been the one who's been pushing me a little bit in my comfort zone about writing scenes and being like, you know, like, okay, that, that, that line works, but can, can we push it a little farther? Can we find a little deeper? Can we dig into that stuff? And I'm, I've met writers a lot in my pan who are really good at insults and I'm not. Um, and, and so it's been fun to try and figure out a way to come up with like the most horrible lines of description and dialogue you could come up with to really just layer it home that these are bad people but yeah it's a it, it's a little like i said this is my show girl so i'm 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 working i'm working through it <laughs> that just needs to be the tagline of the book at the bottom on the trade it's like ryan parrot show girl <laughs> yeah actually we need that as a pull cord that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> pull cord on your own book <laughs> and so we we've talked a little bit about b and we've talked a little bit about nero but i want to get into to jackal as well too because i i not trying to be too punny with this one, but is is Jackal kind of the like the black sheep or technically like the white goat of the family? <laughs> the white goat. The white goat. <laughs> That's great. I'm gonna I'm using that later. Um, it was really fun when we created Jackal because I had sort of a different take on him when we were first working on him because I was like, is there any of the characters in this? family that are good people like in this or not, like like look they're all when you say bad guys good guys i think that's a little that's a little you know sort of uh what's the word i'm looking for uh simplistic or whatever but um i think i think everybody's just complicated i think you, the more you get to know the more you get to know nero the more you're going to realize there's there's reasons for the reason the way he acts and the more you get to know b same thing but what the thing that was interesting about jackal was i originally remember talking to noah and being like well you know he doesn't want to do this and and like you know he's the good guy and, and and noah was like no he's not the good guy he's just the guy who's trying to make the he's like the least bad bad guy or i guess is what i'm going to say he's like he's somebody who is trying to kind of, he's straddling the fence at all times. He's trying to sort of do the things he wants his dad to, he, he cares about what his dad thinks about him. He cares about what his family thinks about him. But at the same time, he, he, he also, he wants to try and, if, if he, I, he would, if the way you introduce him in the first issue, he's somebody who is trying, like there's a, there's an easy way to do what he's been assigned to do. And there's the hard way. And the hard way means that less people get hurt. So he'll want to do the hard way. And that was, that was the way that we saw him. Um, but I, what I loved about him was that the way that Noah sort of pitched him back to me was, we're going to make a shapeshifter with an identity crisis. And I was like, that's exactly what he is. He is a person who has been so many people that he doesn't know who he is anymore. And he's trying to figure out who that is because he's being asked to be that person for the first time ever. Like before he was always asked, his dad would go, 
go be this person, go be that person, go do that. And now he's like, I might need someone to take over, which means you got to be you. And since he doesn't know what that means, he's trying to figure that out. He's trying not to incriminate either of you with this next question, but which character do you feel like you're the most connected to? I'll go with, I'll go with John first. So I guess <laughs> be careful with what you say because people will have judge you. Uh, yeah. We, so been asked this a couple of times and it's been phrased ever so slightly different each time. So I'm glad you were just like careful with the word. <laughs> um, I mean, like it's, it, it's tricky. I mean, I, I, I love Nero. Nero's um, probably my, like one of my favorite characters. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's a weird one because I think like um, all three of the siblings um, are very much kind of characters that I can relate to, but I think um, Nero is just ridiculous. I think Nero um, is the one that maybe is potentially hiding the most through overcompensation compared to the two quieter, <laughs> two quieter, um siblings so yeah i think like nero for me is just amazing it's just fun um and just ridiculous and um just so obnoxious and over the top but um there's that vulnerability there as well um that is uh that i think is is really key and i think as well that's that's something that i i like about him is like the more he shouts the more he's just a dick <laughs> like the 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 kind of more um the more he's actually revealing about himself whereas the the other two it's slightly harder i think for that for them yeah i always find the ones my favorite is whichever one we're writing at the time like it's 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 like the one whose head you're in the most you tend to start to see the so like you know, like we, I think when we got asked this question, like Noah was like B and he had a really good reason why. And I was like, oh, that's right. Like, cause like Noah is the youngest of like, his dad was 61 when he had him. So I'm answering, I'm giving you Noah's answer and then I'll give you mine. It's like B is like his most, is the one he resorts the most because he was like, his father was 61. He had older brothers, I think that were both like in their thirties or twenties when he was born. So he has, they're more like uncles. And so I think he really understood that idea of like the concept of when you're young and your parents are much older, the idea the um, mortality is a much more present thing that you're dealing with your parents as opposed to when you're younger, your parents feel like gods and are immortal. And I thought he brought a lot to that to be. And I think he really enjoyed that. So that's Noah's, I thought that was, I, I like telling that because I was like, I, I think I found that out on like the first podcast. I was like, what? How did I know? <laughs> um, I think I knew it, but I'd forgotten because I, I, I was like, oh shoot, man, I should have known that. I'm sorry. Um, for me right now, like I've really enjoyed Sam as a character, which is like the, the goat man. Like I've really enjoyed re-looking at where we take his role and his character because he's got a bigger part to play and what he, where his loyalties lie, I think is a really interesting, interesting conversation. Um, and like somebody called him goat Alfred in an interview and I was like, yeah, that's a good way to look at him. He's goat Alfred. Yeah. Galfred. Yeah. Galf yeah. Galfred. Yeah. <laughs> But um, yeah, I, I sort of like him. Uh, and, and, you know, like John said, like the two best characters I think I've learned out of writing are dumb characters, <laughs> dumb characters and angry characters and like, and like, and, or arrogant characters. Those two, because they get to say what all of us are thinking, but like they get to say, so, so Nero is a little bit of both. 
And and I feel like he's like a stupid rocket raccoon. That's the way that I kind of look at at Nero a little bit. He's just like this. He's very dumb, but he he thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. And those people are just the most fun to write. And like and and I think John kind of hit it on the head. Like the more you get to the more he speaks, the the more he talks, and the stronger he thinks he's getting, the weaker and dumber he looks, and the more obvious he becomes. And I think that makes those characters so much just fun to have in your books. Not that there are any dumb or stupid characters in Power Rangers. That uh, <laughs> they're all intelligent, well-rounded people, but somehow have 1.0 GPAs because they're never in class. Yeah, they're all failing. That's why they've been in school for so dang long. They're saving the world. <laughs> they've yeah. been there for 30 years. Exactly. Like I wonder who the Power Rangers are. Probably the people who are 30 years old and still in high school. Yep. <laughs> what do you think? will surprise people the most from the infernals with with the premise of it being this demonic storyline of a family trying to take control of this empire what what's something that you think will catch readers off guard without giving too much away um that's a good question i would say the thing that hopefully will be the most surprising is that as dark as these characters may seem when they start um i think that we try to approach all of them as fully formed, reasonable people. Um, they aren't caricatures. They are. That, I think that's the fun thing about why villains are so fun to write, is that in order to write them uniquely, in order to make them work, you usually have to find something in yourself that you put in those characters, right? Something unique and something real. And I think we put something hopefully real in all of them. So even though they are the quote unquote spawn of Satan, I don't think we treat them as villains we treat them as complicated people dealing with a tough situation they're dealing with the death of somebody they love while trying to figure out where they find themselves in the world and where they're going forward so i'm hoping that as people read it i I hope that they become i now this isn't me saying any of them are good people but i don't actually believe that uh or heroes is a better way to say it like they're not heroes but I, i i do think that like i find I don't care. I, I don't, if you've read any of, of my stuff and the stuff, the shows that I watch, I don't care if the characters I watch are likable. I care if they're relatable. Like I, like I use true, true detective season one is like one of my favorite seasons of TV show ever. Rust Brilliant. Cole is not a likable character. He's like, as a very unlikable, that is not the guy. He's the guy you get stuck talking to at the dinner party. And you're like, I want to get the hell out of here. Right. (laughs) But super relatable in the sense that the more he talks and the more you get to know him, the more you understand the way they are. And I think that hopefully that will be something that surprises people um, is that these are all people that you, in the way that you asked earlier, who is the character that you like the most? Well, hopefully people will read this and see a little bit of themselves in all the characters. Yeah. I, 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 completely agree with that i think um the the connection that that an audience will have with the characters um i know there's there's somebody there that everybody will connect with in some capacity and it's um yeah and it's just amazing because it's just such a spectrum for the cast but i think as well like one of the things that hopefully will surprise people is um it's a story that isn't confined to just one genre and it's not something that is um just a horror story is just a, a drama is it's kind of it's a it's a nuanced 
um, story. And I think we've we've kind of said before how something like Preacher is a, a huge kind of influence on this, where it's um, it's kind of bits of everything. It's hilarious. It's funny. It's heartbreaking. It's action packed. It's quiet. It's all of those things. And I think that's not necessarily something that you would expect from a story that is about the spawn of, spawn of Satan and the apocalypse. So yeah, it's um, it's what whatever you kind of want it to be there's something for you there so yeah hopefully that's that's something that will surprise and um kind of engage people when i was reading the issue i had a truly terrifying realization about the story which is that the three of you in my mind basically taking the roy family from succession and made them literal devil offspring and made them even more deplorable (laughs) Which you, which you would think would be hard, but was actually a lot easier than you'd imagine. <laughs> yeah, succession was something that obviously was in the original conversations about what this could be. I think what was fun, though, was like it started that way. And then the preacher influence is something that I don't even think I realized until we had finished the outline. When I was like, oh, wow, this does go in. Like the thing about succession is it was very when you watch that show, it was very much the same kind of story over and over again. Who's on whose side? What's going on? Like, what little thing's going to come in and divide everybody? Who does Roy love the most? And does he love any of them? Like, you know, it was that over and over and over again. This, I think, has that to start with, and you get that sense. But it quickly spirals into some very different places about what, you know, like, this is a larger story about, because their impact, I think, in the Infernals is a larger concept about what, what your impact is on the world as opposed to what's the impact on your immediate family. And I think that is the thing that I, I ultimately really liked is it started to get into these weird, taking these weird tangents to different worlds and places. And, and as much as I love Succession, it's a great show. It's just like, I felt like it stuck. It was, it, there was a lot of boardroom family scenes, you know, talking in the back of black sedans like, all the time. And like, I feel like we tried to get a little farther out than that. Oh yeah, absolutely. The, the feel and tone is completely different from that show. Right. Yeah. What if Roy was worse? Yeah. <laughs> it's clearly going in extremely different directions. And as we've discussed, the, like the tones and what you're going to explore. So I, I cannot wait for issue two. And I think our listeners should absolutely be going out and picking up issue one. So that issue is going to be coming out on the 7th. Or no, it's going to be coming out on the 14th. Yeah, yep. so it's going just to in time for Valentine's, Valentine's Day. Day. Yeah, so the perfect, perfect Valentine's Day book for all of our listeners to go pick up. It's it's fun with the family. <laughs> it's wholesome. It's real wholesome fun. You know, don't no one under seven, please don't read it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, Ryan and John, is there anything that we haven't touched on yet that you want to bring up about the Infernals? I think we're good. I think that's everything. Otherwise, I'm going to start spoiling stuff, and then Noah's going to get mad at me. So let's not. Do yeah, that. I, yeah. I think yeah. The, the the more the more options that you give us, then the yeah, yeah the, the more likely we are to just ruin everything. Yeah. Here's some more rope, Ryan. Let's see how much you can hang yourself. There you go. All right. We'll we'll be safe and cut it off there. Then again, thank you so much, John and Ryan, for taking the time to chat about the Infernals. But it's time to close the book on the infernals so until next time this is lance and john and ryan we're reminding you to keep your friends close but your comic books closer
I thought that wasn't enough. I'm like, this is an odd way to go out the book. That's yeah, that's a weird way to do it. <laughs> I thought I was going to turn it off then. 